0: This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. Well, I want to bring a message this morning. The title of the message is The Role of the Pastor. The Role of the Pastor. I do this message once a year. I have uh, built more into this message than last year. But that's what I want to talk about this morning. A couple of Sundays ago, I shared my personal testimony, my spiritual... Guide uh, the way God has guided me uh, over the years spiritually. It wasn't so much a biographical uh, testimony; it was uh, how God began to work with me after salvation. Though there was many many years that I just drifted in the Christian life. I talked about when I came to that point when I was 26. Though I was saved at six, but I just did not really grow like I should have, and I came to that point when I was 26, and I began to understand the message of grace. And then from there, God began to reveal to me that he lived inside of me. Because for many years, I viewed God as in heaven, uh, watching me down here and always disappointed. And then the third is where I am now at uh, almost 52 years of age, is the fact that not only does he live in me, but I'm in him. I'm in Christ Jesus. And when you know these things, the message of grace The message of Christ in you and the message of being in Christ, I want to tell you, you're going to grow spiritually if you learn to abide and surrender to him moment by moment. You're going to grow uh, spiritually. Well, the role of the pastor. Someone has said this, There is every temptation for God's ministers to fall in line, get in step with the cadence of our time. And in so doing, we will become unauthentic, boring, predictable, and religious. Uh, Far too often that happens to pastors and that happens to local churches. They just are empty. Uh, There's no real fire in the bosom of the messenger. Nothing's really happening, going through the motions as if you're on autopilot or cruise control and years pass by. Nothing really happens. No one's really growing spiritually, but everybody feels good because we're keeping God off our back because we're attending the services and we're part of the program of the church. You know, God doesn't want it to be that way. No way. That's the way God wants it to be. One of the wisest things we can do as a local church is to remember that Sunday is just another day of the week, we should be worshiping God, serving God, walking in His Spirit 24-7. That is the New Testament teaching. Now, when it comes to pastoring a church, two things happen from the very, very beginning. For me now, here it's been two years. There are unrealistic expectations the minister has of the people. (laughs) In other words... Let me start teaching, let me start counseling, let me start being with the people, and we're going to have a lot of Spirit-filled water walkers all over the place. And uh, give me about three weeks and we'll have that done. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it takes about two years. And then you begin to see the fruit uh, of your teaching, the fruit of your ministry, and you see that God is working. And so there's the unrealistic expectations the minister has of the people. He's kind of idealistic. And uh, I fall into that category. I already know what I want you to look like, and I'm not going to change that. That's not changing. My problem is being patient until we all are conformed to the image of Jesus. Amen? You see, I don't want you to be like me, and I surely don't want me to be like you. <laughs> I want all of us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I'm not asking you to bow to me, and you're not asking me to bow to you, We're asking one another to bow to the Lord Jesus. Amen? When we do that, all of us as individuals are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is God's plan for all of us. That's the bottom line. Now, in a local church, there are many, many different kinds of personalities. And uh, it's comical, to be honest with you. All different kinds of people. Why are we so different? Well, God never makes duplicates. He only makes originals. You know, every snowflake that comes down is an original snowflake. I'm different than you, and you're different than me. All different kinds of personalities. You may have been born and raised in another state besides Mississippi. Bless your and heart. You had a different mom. You had a different dad. Your mom and your dad had different parents than what my mom and dad had, and Your grandparents shaped your mom and dad, and all four of them shaped you into who you are today. Same thing with me. And we're all different. I want you to listen to this uh, psychiatric telephone hotline. Listen to this. If you are obsessive-compulsive, please press one repeatedly. If you are codependent, please ask someone to press two. If you have multiple personalities please press 3 4 5 and 6 If you are paranoid delusional we know who you are and what you want stay on the line so we can trace the call If you are schizophrenic listen carefully and a little voice will tell you which number to press if you have a nervous disorder, please fidget with the pound key until a representative comes on the line. If you have amnesia, press 8. State your name, address, phone, date of birth, social security number, and your mother's maiden name. If you have post traumatic stress disorder, slowly and carefully press 000. If you have Short-term memory loss, press 9. 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 And if you have short-term memory loss, press 9. If you are depressed, it doesn't matter which number you push because no one will answer. (laughs) Hey, You know, that's funny, but I want to tell you, Even in our size church, we have many, many personalities, and it's just the way it is. Not only that, I've watched, not everybody is in the same level of spiritual growth. It's just the way it is. Not everybody is in the same season of life. We have different ages, different personalities, different seasons of life. All of these are in the local church. And then you have a pastor and staff and deacons who take this and try to move the church according to Scripture. The reason I say surrender so much is because I want to be honest with you, I don't see any other hope than all of us as individuals surrendering to the control of the Holy Spirit. If we try to make each other like ourselves, we've got a disaster on our hands. And so, let's think about that as we go through this message. I invite you to take God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, the role of the pastor. 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll talk about some of these things here in this passage. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ... And also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, That does not fade away. There are two principles that a pastor must live by. And the first one is this. There must be no pride of his position. There must be no pride of his position. Remember, think about Peter. Peter had seen and walked with Jesus. And he had been right there with him. Peter was an apostle you say exactly what is an apostle? What is a pastor? What is an elder? What is a bishop? What are these things? Well, an apostle, the New Testament lists at least three necessary criteria for a man to be an apostle. Now listen to this. An apostle had to be a physical eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. So, You say, Pastor, are you an apostle? No, I'm not an apostle. I did not witness the resurrection. I may be older, but I'm not that old. Number two, an apostle had to be personally appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, an apostle had to be able to authenticate his apostolic appointment with miraculous signs. No, I'm not an apostle. Those days ended with those uh, that Jesus called, when he lived here on this earth, when he died, was buried, and was resurrected. And uh, we saw the early church in, in the Acts as it developed. So notice here uh, Peter in verse 1, uh, he calls himself a fellow elder. He, he, he says nothing about, hey, I'm an apostle, which he could have done because he was. But he says, I am an elder, He says, I who am a fellow elder, in verse 1 is what he said. You see, uh, when you think about the pastor, the pastor is an elder, the pastor is a shepherd, and the pastor is a bishop. So they're all three wrapped up together. Uh, so it's one person described in three different ways. Uh, if you were to call me and say, Hey, shepherd, I I should answer, Hey, yes. If you say, Hey, bishop, I should say, Here I am. You should say, Hey, pastor, I should answer you. Because according to scripture, they're all three together. And so when you think about, uh, these names, the word elder speaks of maturity. Now, just because uh, you're 75 years of age does not mean that you're mature. I want to tell you, in the days in which we're living, 2014, I see a lot of senior citizens that are extremely immature. It's like they got stunted when they were a teenager and never grew. Just because you have age does not mean you're mature, but you should be very mature. Because you've outlived most people. you've lived, you've way down the path. And if you're young, if you're a young man, doesn't mean necessarily uh, because you haven't lived a long time, that you're immature. Uh, there are many young men who are far more mature than men in their 60s and 70s. And so uh, I mean, what did Paul say to Timothy? Paul said uh, to Timothy, uh, "Let no one despise your youth." But Timothy was an elder, but he was wise. He was mature. And so the word elder speaks uh, of maturity. The word shepherd speaks of ministry. The word shepherd speaks of ministry. Feed uh, the flock. It's the verb form poimen, which means shepherd. Another word for shepherd is pastor. Uh, these two words, uh, shepherd and pastor, they're interchangeable. And then the word bishop speaks of management, speaks of management. The word bishop does not appear in its noun form, but it does appear in its verb form, where he says uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 2, serving as overseers. Epi, Episcopal, where it says, when you think of the breakdown of Episcopos, Episcopos, which means uh, overseer, uh, the word bishop, epi means over, skopas means scope, this means to see over. You know, you think about a scope that you hold up to your eyes, where you see. The bishop is the one who oversees things. Now, that doesn't mean uh, the elder, the pastor, and the bishop, that doesn't mean that he has to do everything, but there should be general oversight of the pastor, of everything uh, in the local church. And so uh, we see here that uh, only God can make an elder, a shepherd, and a bishop. And uh, a pastor is a God-called man. God calls a man into ministry. God calls a man uh, to be a pastor. It is a mysterious thing. Uh, most pastors uh, could tell you, you get to a point where you don't understand why you are the way you are. I had one of our young people tell me one day, Pastor, you're odd. You're odd. And I know I am odd sometimes, but it's the way God has made me. It's the way he, he works in me and, and the way he uh, arrests me and carries me along and uh, the way he makes me feel. And how he guides me. I can't always explain it, but I tell you what, I always know. I know when God's speaking to me, and I know when I'm speaking to me. I know the difference. It's as clear as a bell uh, uh, to me. And God has called me and has anointed me to preach the gospel. And it's a very humbling thing, it's a very mysterious thing, it's a hard thing to explain. It would actually be easier not to be called to this role. I mean, it would really be easier. But we're to do what God would have us to do. Notice again what what Peter says in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, "...and also a partaker." That word partaker uh, is the same word as partner. In other words, here he is, a genuine apostle, walked with Jesus, had worked miracles, witnessed the resurrection, a genuine apostle, but he says, I'm an elder. He says, "Uh, I'm a a partaker. I'm a partner with you. He saw himself on the same level with the others. There was no pride of position. But you know, Peter wasn't always that way. Remember? At one time, he thought he he was very prideful of his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But God lovingly humbled old Peter. You remember? Peter was sifted like wheat. You remember Peter said, I'll go with you even unto death. And then what did he do? He denied him three times. Remember that scene where Peter had denied the Lord Jesus three times? All of a sudden the cock crowed and he realized, that's exactly what Jesus said I would do. And the Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. He didn't say anything to Peter. He just looked at him. That's all he had to do. I would imagine old Peter was different from then on. And so uh, there must be uh, no pride of position. A pastor must be a man who glances at the world, but he gazes upon God. And when your pastor's gazing upon God, you may not always understand him. But just trust that he's listening, and he's gazing upon God on behalf of his own soul and behalf of the flock that God has called him to shepherd. So there must be no pride of his position. Second principle is this. Every pastor should know this. There must be the heart of a shepherd. There must be the heart of a shepherd. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Shepherd, uh, the original root word means to act as a shepherd to tend the flock. Notice in verse 2, he says shepherd, that's to act as a shepherd. That means to tend the flock. But notice what it says. Shepherd what? The flock of God. You see, the pastor has his flock, he has his church, but you know what? It is God's flock. It is God's church, and the pastor does not own it, and he is the under-shepherd. He's under God, but it is God's flock. And so a man in ministry, a pastor, needs to know that this is not my flock to own. This is not my flock to control. They are God's people. And ultimately, each one of them will have to answer to God for themselves. You are God's child. You're one of his sheep. You're in his flock. He is the chief bishop. He is the chief shepherd. And so God's holy word guides the shepherd and people alike. Someone has said this, by definition, the true elder is the shepherd of the flock in which God has placed him who bears them on his heart, seeks them when they stray, defends them from harm, comforts them in their pain, and feeds them with the truth. There was a little boy that uh, was with his dad in the car. They had just uh, left uh, the funeral of uh, one of their loved ones. And the father noticed that his little boy was just looking out the window and not saying much, just kind of sitting there, just like he was really doing some serious thinking. So the father thought, well, I'll just wait and see what he might say later. So later on, as they were driving along silently together, the little boy finally said, Dad, I've been thinking. It seems to me that we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. And the father said, you're right, we are. You see, I had a lady tell me one time at a church where I did an interim, she said, you sure talk about death a lot. You know why? Because we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. (laughs) That's the reason. When you're pastoring, when you're gazing upon God, and when you're thinking of eternal things, yes, you still enjoy your life on this earth, but at the same time, you're always aware of the eternal realm, and people are perishing without the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it really will be too late one day when someone so procrastinates and gets so fascinated by this world system that's passing away that they die without Christ. You're always aware of that. You see it. And even in your own flock, sometimes you wonder, is that individual genuinely born again? And is there something I must do? something I might need to say to help them if they're not born again. We should never assume that because someone's faithful in church attendance that they're genuinely born again. And so that's constantly on the heart of the pastor, is that of the eternal realm. The fact that we're going to forever be in the direct presence of the Lord Jesus Christ this moment we call time is brief. This is like a play that has a beginning and an end, and we're all of the uh, actors and actresses on this stage, and it is before God. And there's coming a time where each one of us will pass from this life to the next. On my heart is I want to know for certain that you're saved because you're under my care. And that's why sometimes... Uh, many times I give a simple gospel invitation at the end of the morning message. So if God's speaking to your heart about your soul, about salvation, that you might come forward or either talk with me after the service about your soul and your eternal destiny. The reason I do that is because it stays on my heart forever. I wouldn't want, want anyone under my care to mistakenly think that they had some kind of security based on something other than what God's Word says about salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and His death uh, on the cross. And so the pastor guides uh, God's people, and the pastor lives in this uh, sense of time and eternity, and time is escaping, and time uh, for people to to believe is steadily closing. And you hear me say this often, and I want you to just ponder this. As we grow older, our hearts grow colder. As we grow older, our minds grow dimmer. There comes a point where you can't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because your heart is so cold and and like leather from life, and you're getting older, you're having hardening of the arteries, and you have dementia set in, and it's too late. Paul said in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, keep seeking the things above the eternal realm, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He said, set your mind. He said, keep seeking, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. That's what the pastor feels deep inside. A constant, "Let's, let's look up from this and let's look up to the heavenly things is constant. It stays there with you. You see, shepherding is in your heart. It is a calling. It's a gift of God. You know that you can't educate someone to be a pastor? There's no way you can educate someone to be a pastor. It's not like educating someone so that they can be a president of a bank one day. It's not like that. It is something that God does in you. Now, I'm not knocking education. Education is good. Education can help you in many ways, but listen, I want to tell you, there's been too many Godly men that God has used in a special way, like Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Vance Havner, who never had formal education, become some of the greatest preachers the world had ever heard. We're still reading their sermons to this day. They were uneducated, but they educated themselves by reading and self-instruction. So what I'm saying is there is a call of God upon you, and if you're looking at degrees, you're looking the wrong way. It's been comical to me to watch a particular church, uh, in the Memphis area. They keep changing the, the pastor's, uh, title and stuff on, on the sign out front. Uh, one, it said Dr. So and so one time, and then they dropped the doctor and put to a PhD at the end, and then, uh, uh, he came back, and then it was, the doctor was back up there again with the PhD, and then they dropped the doctor and put Reverend, then they dropped the Reverend and put Pastor, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. It makes me want to drive by to see what's next. The main thing, is he called by God? That's the main thing. And is he for that particular church? Because God has a way of, of like Dr. Rogers used to say, of marrying a man with a congregation. It's God-appointed. It's a mystery. We can't explain it. It's it's a mystery. It's something that God does. He puts it on the heart of the pastor, and he puts it on the heart of of the people, so pastoring a church is not a religious profession. There is a call of God that just links certain men with certain flocks. Sometimes churches say, well, we got to hire us a pastor. Don't ever say that. Matter of fact, just drop the word hire from your vocabulary. You don't hire a pastor. You better pray, number one, that he's God called, number two, that he's called to our church. You see, I'm not like your former pastor, and whoever your next pastor will be, he won't be like me more than likely. Because God has made us all unique, but there must be the call of God on the life. Listen to what Jesus said about hirelings. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling... He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father." and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the chief shepherd. And the chief shepherd lives in me, and he lives in you. Look again at what Peter says in verses 2 through 3. He says, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, real shepherds are not religious shepherds. They don't uh, serve by compulsion. Uh, They don't serve by constraint. They serve voluntarily, willingly, according to the will of God, not for gain, not for filthy lucre. They serve with eagerness with a ready mind. He says, again, look at uh, verse 3 here, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. I I confidently say this. I've been here two years. I don't believe I've been bossy. I don't believe I've lorded my position over you. And I don't think I ever will. Because if I, if it comes to that, that means I'm to go. I don't, Desire to be bossy. I don't desire to control this place. i tell you what my desire is. For every individual to walk in the Spirit. That's it. If I can encourage that, I know what will happen. Things will just go up and, and we won't be able to explain it. That's just what will happen. I've watched this in my life. I've watched this in the lives of other people. If we can encourage one another to walk in the Spirit, live a surrendered life to Him, all that God ever intended begins to happen. You see, when a pastor is insecure, he tends to be bossy. When a pastor is insecure, he has to have you sign covenants. Sign covenants. There's no way that's of God. To promise that you'll do something? My thinking is this, if someone won't do something, well then they don't do it. That's it. That's the end of it. I want people to serve because the Spirit of God is moving and motivating them. But to have to sign a covenant, you're starting from the very moment on the wrong path. Being bossy, signing covenants. I don't think I've preached any messages on pastoral authority. I might one day if I take a whole book and go through it, which I plan to do. But the reason I don't preach on pastoral authority is because I'm not bothered by that. I think I do have pastoral authority. Am I thinking if you're trying, if, if a pastor has to convince the congregation that you need to uh, see pastoral authority, well, then he probably doesn't have it. And more than likely, he's just about to be on his way. You either have that or you don't. And to try to make people lift you up in, so, in some kind of authoritative way, My friend, I would question any man who had a hang-up with pastoral authority if he's truly been called. It's either there or it's not. And to try to demand pastoral authority by whipping people up with Scripture is no way that's of God. That is of the flesh, that is carnal, and that is ungodly. But I'm afraid we have a lot of sheep beaters instead of sheep feeders in our world today. And so, it says, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. Examples to the flock, that's simply a walk in the Spirit on behalf of the pastor. Someone has said, sheep do best when they are led, not driven. When they are released and not controlled. When they know they are loved and not shamed. Have you ever been under a pastor or a preacher that shamed you and guilted you to motivate you to serve, be at church every service, and to give? That sets an atmosphere and a tone that uh, is no way is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 4, what, look what it says in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory It does not fade away. Now, how should the flock respond to their pastor? Well, turn over to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. I'll be closing uh, with this. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 17. Listen to what it says here. It says, Obey those who rule over you. You know, we don't like that word rule. And you know, I don't like the word chastise either. (laughs) But you know, the, the Bible says the Lord chastens those that he loves. Uh, that's really a, a child training, a discipline. There's nothing wrong with that. Obey those who rule over you. Someone who rules over you, look, it's, it's not standing with a ruler going to pop your hand when you do wrong. I'm not going to do that. You probably need to pop my hand sometimes. I'm not going to do that. Ruling over you, that's not what it means. He's to pastor. He's to oversee. He's to shepherd. That is to feed the flock. It's, to me, it's all positive. It's caring. But obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch over your souls. Notice this. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Men, you know the the Word of God says that you and I are responsible to be heads of our family? Because we're going to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, aren't we under grace? Yes, we're under grace. But according to the Word of God, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ where we're going to give an account of what we've done with our lives since we've been saved. And as spiritual heads of our homes, guys, whether we like it or not, even when you have maybe have a rebellious wife or rebellious kids, God still looks to us to be the leaders, to respond to them the right way. And I want to tell you, I I wished it was the other way around. I wished the woman was in charge. (laughs) Wouldn't it be easier? And when you're a pastor, not only do you have your own family, but you're also accountable to those that God has you pastoring them. He says, let them do so with joy, not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. So I I just want to tell you, how can you help your pastor? You can encourage me. You can pray for me. You can love me. You can defend me, because I don't need to be defending myself. And I I don't think the defending, I think that's pretty much behind us now. But you can defend me. And yes, you can correct me, and you can rebuke me. But I want to tell you, You better do that privately, graciously, and you better do it briefly. But I will open myself up to correction and rebuke privately, briefly, and graciously. Don't go on and on and on with me if I need to be rebuked, or I'll be rebuking you. (laughs) All right, so I want you to think about what you've experienced over the years. Raising your own family. Sometimes uh, your children do things they shouldn't do, and you really do realize they don't understand. Uh, you see your teenage daughter, and she's, she's starting to spend time with a young man, and it's so clear to you he is bad, he's bad to the bone. He doesn't need to be anywhere around your daughter, but your daughter's fascinated with him, and you're begging and pleading, and she's still... Goes down the wrong path. I watched this happen to my dad. And my sister is still affected negatively to this day because they're not listening to a godly dad. But the same thing you feel for your family, you worry about them, you know, you're 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 trying to instruct them, lead them, and sometimes they're just at that stage where they, they don't understand, they think you're being too authoritative, they think you're being too controlling, and all you want to do is the best for them. Think about your pastor. Not only does he have that in his own family that he deals with, but he's also dealing with this with multiple families because these families are on his heart. So I encourage you to intercede for your pastor. You say, well, how do you do that? Get in his shoes. Look through his eyes. Hear with his ears. feel, Feel with his feelings. Do that sitting before the Lord on His behalf. That's intercession. That'll make you wise. That'll make you a blessing to your pastor. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.